you have felt the dark of night questioning what is out of sight he is the answer he is the
Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Uh, we're going to be on page 617, 617 of the church Bibles this morning. It's going to be the very first psalm. Uh, first of all, I wanted to remind everybody to continue to keep Sandra Escobedo in your prayers. She's still going through the head coughing and allergy stuff that's all we've all dealt with some here this spring. Um, Lee Martin had some, Daniel's dad had some surgery in the last week or so, and he's recovering from that well, so we'll keep him in our prayers. And of course, we'll continue just to praise God for what he's doing in little baby Kylie. Uh, there's just amazing miracles he's working in her healing, and we pray he continue to reveal his, his evidence of what he's doing there. All right, uh, this psalm is where the Lord has us today, and it's an amazing contrast that's shown here between those who walk with God and those who don't. And uh, I just feel like this is where we're supposed to be today. <clears throat> Beginning in Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Wow, what a contrast. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we bless you for the day. We thank you, Lord, for um, your word and your truth. And, Lord, give us the strength to hold on to it with all that we have every day. And uh, we thank you for this word this morning, Lord, that there is a clear right and wrong, truth and untruth, uh, black and white. Lord, it's that simple. It's that clear. There's no middle ground with you, Lord. And I pray, God, you would give us the strength and the wisdom and Lord, we, and just the guidance of your spirit to keep us walking in your shadow each day. Uh, we bless you. We pray. Continue to lift up Sandra to you, Lord. I pray you continue to heal her and, and give her strength through this struggle she's having with this, uh, with this sickness. And Lord, I also uh, want to thank you. You've, we've already seen healing for, for Lee Martin. Uh, but Lord, we pray this surgery he's just had will be a success and that he will feel better. And Lord, as we always pray, that the physical healing will be complete um, glorification of what you're doing in your mighty name in all of us, Lord, in all times. We do thank you, Lord, for what you continue to do in little baby Kylie. I pray, God, you go as they go to the specialist tomorrow uh, in Fort Worth, Lord, that you will just continue to work out your perfect will and, that, Lord, that your evidence will continue to be clear and even those who have never known Kylie would even be drawn to who you are, Jesus, we pray. Uh, we bless you. We thank you for this day, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would meet us here. We beg you, Lord, that your spirit would, would guide us and give us hearts, Lord, that are open to hear what you have for us today. And, Lord, that we not only hear, but we be doers of what we hear the rest of the week. Bless you, Jesus, for all you've done for us and the amazing sacrifice you've made for each of us. It's in your holy name and for your glory. We praise you today in your name. Amen.
is holy. He is holy. Yeah. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. He is holy. He is holy. Oh, la, 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 la.
Good morning. Let me grab my glasses. I forgot to put them over here. You know, sometimes I need those. So <laughs> sometimes I don't. It's funny how sometimes God allows me to just see the words so clearly, and I, I, I've noticed that. So that's fun to see. Well, I'm excited. We've been um, over the last couple of weeks talking about some things, preparing our hearts and our understandings to celebrate Passover. Passover is going to be celebrated on April the 5th, and we're moving towards that time in understanding. So the next few weeks we'll continue to teach on Passover and what it has to do with a believer's life. So last week we began to understand a little bit as Jesus taught this place to keep my commandments and what that truly means. And we're going to look at that a little more today in broadening this understanding. But we could see last week that that call is for believers to keep his commandments, to keep his laws, to keep his truths. So today, I think I want to start off in a place that um, will help us to take a different, maybe a different perspective to sometimes looking at things. If you want a title for today's message, it, it is, What is Sin? And it's funny because when we start to talk to different people, whether they're believers or unbelievers, you may find that everybody has their own definition for what sin is. And so I want us to look at a story today in the Bible where I think we'll see that the definition that God has sometimes and the way he looks at things might be different than the way we define things and the way we uh, look at things. So if you'll turn with me to Exodus 32, it's on page 98, page 98 in the Bibles, Exodus 32. And what we see is, is um, Moses, as you might be familiar with this story, is on the mountain. He's gone up on the mountain and, um, to hear from the Lord and to receive the Ten Commandments. So starting in verse 1, chapter 32, says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in, the e in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands, and he fashioned it an engraving, with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron, 
made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they arose early on the next day, burnt off next day, burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them for the face of the earth? Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Okay, so a lot is going on here, but when the Lord began to talk to me many years ago about this particular scripture, I could see that God had one perspective of what's going on, and the people had another perspective. So what's happened is Moses, God sent Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. He was the mediator between God and the people. He would hear from God, and he would speak to the people. He was their mediator, and he brought them out of Egypt. And then they come here. He's gone up to see what God might have to say, and he is delayed a little bit longer than what the people think he should be. In other words, they got impatient with how God was doing things. I think that's an important place for us to grab hold of is because in their impatient timing of or impatient feelings about how God's timing was being delayed to what they wanted to happen, they began to do their own way. And I see this over and over in our own lives that oftentimes as we feel like God's timing is not right, we push forth in our own actions. That's what's going on here, is they're pushing forth in their own actions. They go to Aaron, the high priest, and they say to Aaron, you know, he's been gone too long. We need a mediator. That's what they're asking for here. They're saying, we need a mediator. Because if you notice, what they're wanting is for Aaron to build something that they could use to come to God through. Now, the reason they had this understanding is because they were in Egypt. They were raised up in Egypt. And how did the Egyptians worship their gods? They had idols. They had a mediator to their gods. So the people were familiar with, okay, if you're going to come and worship God, you've got to have a mediator. 
And we had Moses, but Moses is gone. So sometimes we come down so hard on the children of Israel and we say, how in the world would y'all have made a golden calf? And we do the same thing. We begin to create our own ways to come to God. We decide he will be okay with whatever we bring to him. So as we go down, I want you to notice something really interesting because in uh, verse 5, it says, So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. So he sees the golden calf. He builds an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. You see, he's not declaring that they will have a feast to some false god. This is so important for us to understand as we come close to celebrating Passover. So as Aaron comes to this place, he's saying, this is how we choose to worship you, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the God that we worship. This is the God we were singing praises to today. Aaron was not building an idol to worship another God. You have to hear that. Somewhere in our minds, we see this golden calf and we go, Oh my goodness, you were worshiping another God. That's not what Aaron is doing at all. Our Aaron is worshiping the true and living God but in his own ways, in a way that would satisfy the people. That is so challenging because I see in their perspective, they were coming to worship God. But in God's perspective, he tells Moses, he said, you've got to get down there. Your people have done an awful thing, and I'm going to destroy them. That's how God saw it. So many times I hear people say, God is okay with how I choose to worship him. Those words make me tremble. Because it's not about how you choose to worship God. It is about how he has set forth in his word a place for us to understand how to worship him. He even calls these people, he says, their stiff neck. That's an interesting place right here because I see how God saw them. They, he saw them as having their own way. That's what he means by this place of stiff neck. He's saying they want to do it however they want to do it. I've told them what to do, and they've moved away from that already. This sets the backdrop for where I want to teach today. 
in this place to help us to understand is that our perspective may not matter at all if it's not in alignment with God's perspective on many levels. On one level, over the next few weeks, as we prepare for this place of Passover and celebrating God's feast, we have to recognize that the reason we have chosen to come and align with God in his feast is because it's in his word. We've not created our own way. As we continue on and consider these places of understanding, we have to see how most of the world has created this place of Easter. It is much the same way. There is not one word of Easter in your Bible. Not one word. Jesus was crucified on Passover. And yet we've created a place to, to bring his death and his burial and his resurrection, and we call all of it Good Friday and Easter. There's no truth in that. And over the next few weeks, we'll see that more clearly. It's not in your Bible. But what is in your Bible and what we will continue to look at is that Jesus died on Passover he was buried on unleavened bread, and he was raised on first fruits. God has a specific way for us to come and celebrate our Savior. As I looked at this passage, and I wanted to... Um, I felt like what God wanted me to teach on today was what is sin. And, uh, and yet he led me to this passage to start with. And so I said, Lord, what does this have to do with what we're teaching on today? I understand what it has to do with Passover and Easter. I understand. And he said, yes, but people have done the same thing with sin. They have their perspective on what God is okay with on what they would call sin and what somebody else might call sin. I, I, as I said, many times somebody will say to me, well, that might be sin to you, but it's not to me. And I always, always tell them, it doesn't matter what I say, and it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what God says. And that's why we have to be continually in his word to see what he is saying that is directing us to his truth, that we can be in alignment with his truth and only his truth. Your perspective doesn't matter. So I want to I share some things with you today. Let's start out by... Um, Looking at a couple of places, you know, one of the first things that if I am going to um, use a word in the New Testament, I always want us to look and see how it's defined in the Old Testament so that we know exactly what the New Testament 
believers were following. And why do I say that? Because the New Testament was not written at the, at the very beginning of the church. It came along several years later, the New Testament did. So what they were looking to, to define their understandings, was written in the Old Testament. So if we want to look at this word sin, how would we define sin? There are certainly a lot of people would say a lot of different things. People would say, well, it's when you do something wrong. Well, that's really vague, isn't it? Uh, because everybody has their own idea of what's wrong. And then a lot of people will say it's missing the mark. How many of you have heard that said throughout your lives, that, that people will say sin is missing the mark? And, and I heard that most of my life, and I thought, well, what mark is that exactly? So there is some truth in these understandings of what is wrong and what is right certainly is a, is a way to understand sin, but it doesn't define sin for us. To understand this place of missing the mark is true. I want to show you where they even get this from. Turn with me to Judges. It's on page 303. Judges 20, page 303. So look at verse 16. It, this is a story, and... Um, in Judges, and, and it has, says, Among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. This word means is, uh, let me see, hata, I believe. Is that, am I saying that correct in the Hebrew? Hata. And this word hata is this word to not miss. So what they're saying here is that these 700 men, who interestingly enough were all left-handed, could sling a stone to an object that was so small that it was the size of a hair, and they wouldn't miss. This place of not missing, this place of shooting for the goal, is where this word begins to take root. Now, I want to give you some more understandings from the Old Testament. So let's look at um, Daniel 9. It's on page 1032. You can find lots of scriptures in alignment with what I'm going to share with you today. So I just pulled out a few. 
But starting in verse 11, chapter 9, verse 11, it says, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed, so not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. So it's tying this place of sin with this word of transgressing your law. Transgressing. Transgressing means to pass over, to be, go beyond the boundaries. So God's laws have established boundaries. God's goodness, I want you to hear this today, because some people say, oh, we're not under law, we're under grace, and, and we'll talk about that more fully because, yes, we are under grace, but it didn't do away with God's law. As we saw last week that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the, the law, but to fill it up. And so you'll remember Jesus didn't come to destroy God's his instructions and his directions that he has this way that points us to him so what I want you to hear today is the mark is the goal and the goal is God and out of God's goodness he's given us direction through his laws of how we can have relationship with him does that mean we're saved by the law? Absolutely not. You're not saved because you kept the law. You're not saved because you did a lot of good things for the poor. You're not saved because you took food to the sick. You're not saved because you didn't murder. You're not saved in any way by the law. You're saved through faith, by grace, in Christ Jesus. But out of God's goodness, out of this place, he's instructing us what it looks like to walk out that salvation. He is calling us, each one, to be holy, as it says in 1 Peter, because he is holy. And so if I said to you, listen, I need you to leave here today and be holy, you'd go, what does that mean? We don't know what that means if we don't have God's word. But with God's word, his law defines his holiness. So the law really only does three things. You can remember this always. It blesses and it curses and it defines sin. Paul says, without the law, I wouldn't have even known sin. So here in this scripture right here, it says, yes, all of Israel has transgressed. It's gone out of the boundaries of the law. It's gone its own way. Israel has gone her own way and has made up her own rules and her own laws, and we do the same thing oftentimes, and we transgress the law of God. 
we go beyond its boundaries. But interesting enough, it goes on to say, and it says, and has departed, so not to obey your voice. So when God shows us something, when God tells us something, when he gives us a word and we choose to not obey it, we go beyond his boundaries. And then it goes on to say, therefore, do you see that therefore? I love therefore. Because it means because of what you've done, therefore, this is going to happen, right? So it says, therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. The law is full of blessings and curses. It defines sins. And it has the ability to bless when we're obedient and to bring curses when we are disobedient. Do you want to know what those are? Do you want to walk in obedience with the law so that you can walk in right standing with the law? with the Lord. Do you remember last week we looked at righteousness is walking in right standing with God's laws and his commandments. And Jesus says, now if you don't have the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you can't enter into heaven. In other words, he says, unless you keep every law and everything perfectly, you can't enter into heaven with this understanding. But he knows that you're not going to keep everything perfectly. That's not what we're here today to talk about. We're not here today that you will lead a sinless life. You won't. And Jesus knows that. Are y'all a little cool? We can turn the air, adjust the air a little bit. But what Jesus is saying to us is that you're not going to lead a sinless life. You're not. But that you should have your eyes focused on that mark, on that goal. That that should be the desire of your heart. If you are truly, through faith, by grace, through faith, saved in Christ Jesus, then your eyes will be focused on the mark of his holiness. And your desire and your heart will want to be in alignment with him. And when we fall short, he is our adversary. He has covered us so that we receive his righteousness in our weakness. Does that make sense to you? You see, grace doesn't allow for us to just continue to sin and sin and sin and continue in our own ways. Paul says, so does grace abound so that sin, I'm sorry, does sin abound so that grace can abound even more? He says, oh, heavenly days, no. 
He says, no, that's not it. It's not that grace is there so that you can continue to sin. Grace is there when you accidentally miss the mark and you do sin. Then Jesus' righteousness covers you. Let me see. I want to show you some more scriptures really quick. Let's look at... Let's look at Deuteronomy 28.15. So on page 233. You know, the law, if you want to pull up the law in the Old Testament, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. But what I want to tell you is the rest of the Old Testament gives us examples and understandings of how to live out these first five books. And Paul even wrote and said all of these things in the Old Testament were given as an example for you. So every word of the Old Testament, every word of the New Testament is for us that we might gain understanding to set our eyes on the mark on God. That we might work towards his holiness, knowing we won't achieve it, but knowing he has prepared a way that even when we don't, our righteousness will be more than the scribes and the Pharisees. Do you see that? Why? Not because of your goodness, but because of when you failed, Jesus' goodness covered you. Yes. Amen. So uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass... If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and take you and overtake you. And then he begins to list a lot of things. So what I want you to remember is what does the law do? It blesses and it curses. Turn with me to a few pages on over to... Um, Oh, let me think. I think it's there. Um, I don't have it written down, but I want you to see it. I think it's, um, let me look real quick. <laughs> Maybe I can't put my hands on it. Lord, would you help us that we might see these words? I thought it was... I don't see it right here. It, uh, I'm sorry. 
30? I thought it was in 30. Is it 15? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Raj. Uh, yes, okay, it's on page 238. And it's Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. It says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you to, today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgment, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Choose life. Now, Paul says these words were all given as an example to us. Now, a lot of times people say right here, oh, that's in the Old Testament. That was to them. It was to them. Absolutely it was. But Paul said all things are given as an example for us that we might understand exactly what the law does, that it defines sin, that it blesses, and that it curses. So let me, let's look at some New Testament understanding. Turn with me to um, 1 John 3. It's on page 1400. Let's see if this runs true in the, uh, in the New Testament. <clears throat> Page 1400, 1 John 3, verse 4. It says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So John is writing, and he says, whoever sins commits lawlessness. What is lawlessness? If you went out today and you saw someone and they were robbing a bank, you would say they are lawless. They are breaking the law. They have no respect for the law. If you see someone murdering, you would say they have no respect for our laws. They are lawless. So what John is writing, and you have to remember, the rest of the New Testament wasn't written here. What he is writing is that if you're in sin, you are breaking the law. Whose law? God's law. If you are in sin, you are breaking God's law. He's writing this to believers to say you should not be walking in sin. In fact, he goes on down a little further. 
in verse 6. Oh, well, let's go on and read in verse 5. And you know that he was manifested. He's talking about Jesus. You know that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. What he is saying is that when you come and make a commitment by faith to receive Jesus as Lord of your life, when he becomes Lord, he takes away that nature that wants to remain in sin, and he makes you a new new creation. And a new creation that will no longer desire to be in sin. He takes it away. He gives you an opportunity to be able to meet the mark. Going on in verse 6, it says, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Does that mean that we're going to be sinless? No. But it means that you are striving for that goal. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. So if you're practicing and living in sin, what the law does, as Paul says, he wouldn't have known sin without the law. But the goodness of God to give us the law is to help us to see whether we are truly saved or not. Because if it is our desire to continue to walk in ways that are not of God's holiness, we would have to question whether we truly do love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. The first commandment of the Old Testament as we looked at last week. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment. Here it is, but how do you work this out? It's all in his book. He goes on to tell us in verse 6, he says, Whoever sins has neither seen him or know him. Little children, let no one, no one deceive you. Man, he's saying it, isn't he? He's saying don't be deceived right here. He who practices righteousness is righteous. He who practices being in right standing with God is righteous. If that's the goal every day you get up and you go, Lord, I want to be in right standing with you. That is the desire of my heart. I know the world is calling me to all these other places to draw me into the lust of the world, into the things that my eyes see that I think, oh, yes, the world wants me to love that. But my desire is to get up every morning and be in right standing with you. And then verse 8 says, he who sins is of the devil. In other words, he's saying, if you continue to practice sin and you think, okay, Jesus died, that grace covers me, you are being deceived. And John says, you're of the devil. Now, you might say, oh, I don't think so because I'm not, you see, it's not a big sin. You know, God, I even had someone tell me, One time he said, God and I kind of talked about it, and he knows, you know, and I know, but, 
you know, he's kind of okay with it. That's a lie. He's deceived. You see, our perspective, if it's not in alignment with God's perspective, brings us to death. God's wrath will pour out and destroy the people that truly do not want to walk in alignment with the Lord. It says, he is of the... He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I love this place of understanding. We've talked about it. It has a broad understanding for us. But one of the things I love about it is he's talking about the works of the devil that draw you to desire sin every day that brings curses into your life, that may be causing sickness and disease or, or, or no telling what in your life because there's a curse. Because you're walking and practicing sin and you're following the devil and the work of the devil has a right to bring about curses. That's why when you read throughout the gospel in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over and over again, you see that Jesus went about teaching and healing and casting out unclean spirits. Unclean spirits, these places of the devil that had a right to land in you and you had joined up with them. But Jesus was made manifest to overcome the work of the devil. Amen. He did that in my life. I was not where I was supposed to be in alignment with the Lord until I was 52 years old. But I wasn't thinking I was of the devil. I was thinking I was a pretty good person. I was thinking that most of the time I did the right things. But when the enemy would pull me in his direction, I was willing to go. And I lived practicing what the enemy desired until Jesus. And he touched my life, and he made a new creation. He just did it in an instance. It's unbelievable. All of a sudden, that desire to follow in the works of the enemy was gone. Jesus overcame it. And my desire was to walk in alignment with him. Just because I loved him. Not because I needed to do that to be saved. Jesus saved me when I trusted him to be Lord. 
But because I love him so much, my heart desires to walk in obedience with whatever it is he asked me. There may be cost. There may be challenges ahead of you. But if you love him, that will be the desire of your heart. We could stay all night. Some of us would fall out the windows, wouldn't we? But <laughs> because there's so much I'd love to share with you. I, I, I wrote down uh, Matthew 5 through 7. If you want a place to read this week, Matthew 5 verse 7 is a great place where Jesus takes the law and he expands it and expands their understanding to describe the spirit of what the law means. In other words, he says, you know, you've heard it said that you can't murder. And he says, but I'm telling you, you can't even be angry. Have any of us been angry this last month? He says, you can't do that if you're walking with me. If you've got your eye on the mark, on the go, on God, on being in alignment with him, then you won't be able to line up with these things. How do we get there? First and foremost, it comes in the heart. It has to be the desire of your heart to want to get to that place. It has to be the desire of your heart that Jesus would truly be Lord of your life. And in that place, in this new creation, he gives you instructions for that walk. That's what the first five books of the Bible is about. Instructions for life. It's called the Torah. It's funny because the Torah, the first five books of the Bible comes from a word, um, let me think, yura um, maybe, yura, so it's not Torah, but comes from a root word, yura, and this yura means to point to the mark. So sin means missing the mark. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, point to the mark. They point to God. You read those, you will see. It all points to God. So how do we find instructions? We begin to read in our Bible every day. Once we come to that place that we desire to want to walk with him, you can't get there if you don't know his word. I promise you it will be difficult walk to not be able to know his word because his word is what helps us to know where the boundaries are. Now, I want to say something about that because I don't want that to be misunderstood. Reading your Bible is not going to save you either. 
What saves you is Jesus. Reading your Bible helps you to see where the mark is. My dad was saved at 85 years old. He went to be with Jesus at 86. He didn't read his Bible every day. He didn't. He trusted in Jesus for his salvation. And God began to talk to him and work out some of the places in his life that were not of him. And God did. I saw it. But I want to tell you, I've been given so much by being able to read in God's word and to know him more deeply that my heart hurt that my dad didn't get to experience what I've been able to see. He missed out on that part. Now, he's in heaven. He's probably at a class that explains it all, or he's not in heaven right now. He's actually in the garden. But one day he'll be in heaven. I hope there'll be classes we can all go to that'll put some things together for us, and we'll all understand the fullness of it. Because the Bible says that we see uh, dimly right now, and it's so true. But what I would tell you is, is that God has opened my eyes to so many powerful places in his word. That it teaches me how to walk in alignment with him, which is the desire of my heart. But he's given me those places in his word every day. The last scripture I want to leave with you is 2 Timothy. It's on page 1368. I love this. May this be buried in our hearts. It says, verse 16, Timothy writes, All scripture, all scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament is given for inspiration of God. I'm sorry, given by inspiration of God. So all scripture is given by inspiration by God. God gave us every word of it. I believe it. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. How to, how to correct us, how to get us back in line that we might have the instructions of how to walk in alignment and in right standing with God, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That place of his purpose, for his purpose, that we might be complete. Do you want to be complete today for his work? You can't get there without first him being the desire of your heart, that you love him with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It takes it every day. And then in that place, 
as he's created this new creation to direct you to the completeness he has for your life, for his purpose, for his glory. If you're here today and these words have challenged your heart and you see that there is a place that you're not in alignment, you're not walking in the place that God calls for you, may be that there is a spirit that's blocking you from the fullness of, of making that decision and that spirit can be cast out. Or maybe it's a place that your choices have hindered you because truly you haven't made the decision to love him with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. But as Deuteronomy says, I pray today in alignment with that that you would choose life. You would choose blessings, not death and curses. If our elders can stand with you in these places and pray with you as you make the decisions to walk in the fullness that God has for you, we will be in the back and would love to pray with you in these matters. Thank you. Stand with me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of that.
Does our God intend to dwell again? 